All right, so I want to continue the, the series, uh, Saving Faith. So this will uh, be part three of this uh, series of, on the podcast. And I wasn't, uh, on the last uh, part two um, episode, I you know, wasn't 100% sure um, if I would continue this or not. But by the time, you know, I had, um, you know, prayed before bed and um, before I laid my head down, I already had almost about over a little over half a page of notes already written out. Um, and then now I've got um, well into two full pages of, uh, of, of, of topics on this on this uh, uh, important topic. And um, although the series I'm, uh, I'm calling it Saving Faith, um, I mean, it really... It, uh, when it goes down to it, it's really talking about, I mean, this really um, interlaces, you know, throughout Scripture. I mean, and the whole uh, whole Scripture, is basically the whole, uh, you know, the importance of it, okay, is um, ultimately, uh, you know, salvation, right? It's, it's ultimately saving faith is, in a sense, I mean, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, the... Uh, you know, the pivotal point of, of Scripture as far as, you know, from our perspective, of course, but is, you know, is the salvation of, of humankind. Uh, and so um, when we talk about saving faith, this is a, a major pivotal thing. And, and it's a topic, I think, you know, it does not get talked enough about in terms of, you know, the true, you can even say true gospel, you know, in a lot of ways. So it's really we're talking about is the true gospel because today uh, there's there's so many uh, false gospels uh, being preached uh, that um, you know it's it's almost uh, you know mind-boggling to to even stop and and think about it from you know new age uh, versions to you know catholicism you name it there's just so many denominations you know but when you stop and think that you know, in in truth, when we can when you compare people that have you know their lives have truly been transformed, I mean, truly changed, and you can tell there's something different. And especially when we talk about the the New Testament apostles and stuff. Um, but even outside of that, we're gonna we're gonna dig into a couple of uh, more modern day examples today um, to kind of give you more reference. But you know, so as we look at this stuff. Um, you know, it starts, you know, I think a lot of times it starts going down to the fruit uh, of the person um, is more important uh, a lot of times than, you know, a set denomination or um, a set theology, if you will, things like that. So not that those things, you know, those things can be important. And, and obviously if they have the fruit, then they're, then they're you know, likely that the theology is going to be there uh, at least to some extent, and and, and the Spirit will lead them uh, correctly. So it's, um, I would say it's much worse to have the incorrect spirit uh, to begin with um, because then there's no hope uh, at that point, you know, and it's kind of like the, um, you know, the unpardonable sin, okay, if they're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're going to, if you're blaspheming the Spirit of your Creator, then, um, yeah, these are one of these are the ones that it says, you know, woe unto those who, who call you know, evil good and good evil because, you know, you're so twisted in, in your understanding that there, you know, there's literally no hope for you. There's no forgiveness for you at that point because, you, you know, you're, you're totally uh, flipped on your head in terms of 
you know, any kind of any kind of spiritual truth, um, you're you're totally flipped. So there's just there's really no salvation for you at that point. So, um, but uh, let's we'll kind of get into this. And like I said, I've got a lot of notes um, here to go through. So um, I'll try not to get um, too distracted on any certain rabbit holes. Um, and then it looks like with all my notes, we'll definitely uh, be having um, some more uh, episodes on this. So uh, I first I wanted to mention, so one thing that, um, you know, I'm starting to do, and, I, and I've been praying, you know, off and on for uh, faith and, um, you know, boldness, stuff like that, uh, you know, more love, you know, love of God, love for neighbors and all that. And those are all great things to pray for. You know, one thing though I had to admit to myself was is that I hadn't been doing it consistently, and so you know now my charge is you know that um, at least twice a day, morning and night, uh, that um, you know I will go before God humbly and um, continue consistently requesting uh, faith. Okay, you know, increasing faith like Elijah, Elisha, and I've even added Stephen. If you listen to my last episode. Um, you know, you'll probably understand that, um, you know, his, his faith. Um, and then also I've added, uh, courage, you know, over overcoming cowardice and, uh, having more courage in the faith. And then, uh, boldness kind of goes along with that. So boldness as well. So those, you know, love, uh, all those are pivotal things, you know, now we can't put all of that you know, all those things can't be just put on God and left alone there. We have to, we pray for it, but then we're all, we also have to do our part. We have to also work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? Uh, so we have to also, you know, do our part in that. So it's not a matter of just praying and, and uh, you know, trying to put it off on God, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, with prayer, a consistent prayer, okay, keep it, you know, keep that going. Then we're also going through these lessons and in uh, applying these things, okay. We're not we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word, okay. Uh, many people think they're doers, but they're really just hearers of the word, and they let the enemy come and steal the seeds from them. Uh, those seeds of truth that have been planted, uh, the enemy comes in and steals them, or they get busy. You know, we get busy with life and things, you know, other things of the world uh, draw our attention, and so we get distracted and. Uh, we don't produce fruit uh, worthy of righteousness. Okay, so those are all, all kind of leading into that. So, um, so I would encourage the same though for you. Like, what are you praying for, and are you doing it consistently? Um, so, you know, that's it. Doesn't mean, um, you know, that doesn't mean it's the only thing you're praying for either. So keep that in mind. So, you know, you, uh, you know, but you know, write down some of those things that you want to focus on. And, um, and again, I think, you know, you know, saving faith is, is a, is a major key element here. Um, you know, how much, how much faith do we really have? You know, do we truly trust God? And those are the kind of things I've been talking about in this series. Okay. So, um, and then I want to talk about too. So the blood of the saints. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's a saying that, um, you know, uh, from of old, that the, uh, the the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. Okay, it's the seed of the assembly, and that's a well known. You know, uh, I can't remember. I don't know where it came from, but it's a well known deal. 
saying uh, and the um, some one of the early church fathers I think said that too so I know it came from at least early church uh, you know uh, believers and stuff and so what this is talking about is you know the martyrs in uh, of the church um, is the seed okay the you know so they're the seed of the church and so we you know we see that with you know obviously Christ being the first one but um, you know Stephen right off the bat the first one the martyred after Christ's resurrection uh, you know uh, you know his you know his stuff is laid at the feet of Saul who becomes you know Paul uh, so um, a major so in Stephen's uh, martyrdom, a major seed was planted in one of the best uh, apostles and messengers for Messiah. Um, he was converted after that situation. So, you know, now he, you know, initially he went on a hunt for uh, other believers like Stephen initially. But again, you know, uh, you know, Christ acted um, and in accordance with that. And there's all kinds of, there's a whole history of, um, uh, you know, like Martyr's Mirror is one major book collection which I have that has uh, martyrs throughout the generations, and some are some amazing, um, you know, heartfelt and faithful, you know, stories, you know, throughout just some amazing testimonies, uh, stuff that's that's uh, happened, and even like I said, miraculous stuff that's happened. You know, this is way past the the biblical times too, and stuff. So the uh, and two, I would say to here that. You know, part of my point on this message here is we've got to get out of the mentality that there was biblical times and then there's now. You know, these are two separate things. We've got to stop with that mentality. Honestly, today we, we think that the things of the Bible, you know, those things can't happen now. Uh, so that kind of thinking, we've got to eradicate that. Um, you know, so really what it is, is, is that, you know, we're not as obedient and as faithful uh, as as the people of the Bible, um, and but as you if you really start looking at the the history of true Christianity with martyr martyrdom and stuff, uh, I would say those are more the true Christians, the ones that were being persecuted. Okay, so and that's one of the major signs of a true believer, and we'll dig into some more of that. But so that's something we have to understand is that. You know, the just because, you know, we have technology today, for example, or just because we have some level of peace, depending on, you know, depending on where you're, I mean, uh, where, where you say that, uh, Palestine would say that right now, uh, that they have peace. So, but it depends on, you know, we think relatively, especially in the Western world, you know, we think, you know, oh, we have peace, you know, um, and stuff. So we think, but we have to be careful there because we see in Revelation, uh, you know, talking to the churches, you know, Messiah says, you know, and that's referencing this just generation as well, in my opinion, um, you know, at the time, but also future generations that, um, you know, you think you're rich, but you, but, you know, but you are poor, you know, you, you think you're clothed, but you are naked, you know, and so, uh, you know, we have to, uh, you know, hear the message that you think you're rich, but you're poor um, and stuff even today. So um, then, um, so uh, believers uh, who refuse to take up their cross to die to self, okay, they're refusing to be the seed of the church, okay? 
In other words, uh, you know, you are, you're saving your own life, okay? And if you save your own life, you will lose it, okay? That's what Messiah says. Um, so let's keep that in mind, you know. So anyway, I, I think, you know, we tend to think of this as a very practical, okay, so, you know, um, as long as I don't deny Christ, um, then, you know, I'll be saved. Well, in, in you know, theoretically, yes, um, you know, so it can, you know, um, that's that part's true by itself. But at the same time, though, if, uh, you know, if you haven't fully believed it to begin with, well, then the question is, are you saved to begin with? Um, you know, um, so even if you were to not give in and uh, to a temptation at the end of the day, um, you know, to go to um, some kind of martyrdom um, or beheading or whatever it was, and uh, so maybe you don't give in the last hour, and, and maybe the maybe the Holy Spirit acts uh, at that point. Maybe at that point, maybe you have saving faith at the ninth hour. Uh, that's possible. I mean, look at the the, the thief uh, on the cross uh, that. Um, you know, Messiah saves at the ninth hour. So, not that it's impossible, but um, it's not something to be relied upon. You know, I would not rely upon that because most people aren't going to, um, you know, aren't going to be ready, right? That's what the whole point about, you know, watch and be ready. Watch for my coming. Watch, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the bridesmaids with the, with the oil and the lamps. Uh, all that stuff is, you know, you know, watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Uh, so, you don't know when I'm going to come. So, I mean, how many, you know, when Messiah returns, and we have no idea of the exact timeline, but how many people, and, and especially Christians I'm talking to here, how many people are going to be goofing off, you know? Are they going to be actually in, in, the, uh, the, in the throes of sin itself, okay? Um, you know, whether that means gluttony, whether that means lust of the flesh, you know, fornications of all kinds, I mean, just imagine... Um, you know, people are in the middle of some kind of lustful sin or porn or whatever it is, um, and, you know, or thieving or whatever, and uh, you're in the middle of this, and here comes, all of a sudden, the sky uh, parts, and here comes, um, I mean, you'd just be, um, yeah, you I mean, there's there would be no answer. I mean, I, I, how would you even uh, reply? You know, you're in the middle of sin, and here comes your so-called Lord and Messiah is coming, down from heaven, and uh, and your hands are dirty, you know. So um, let's uh, we'll keep moving on here, though. So I wanted to um, I wanted to talk about. So I had a couple of examples here, and um, I I found a, try to recap it. I found a video. Well, it's a it's a YouTube deal, but I mean I found an audio basically. Uh, of of a uh, person uh, called Cyprian, some call him Saint Cyprian. That's kind of more for the Catholics, but um, but it, uh, yeah, he lived like back in the 250s, um, you know. So uh, you know, long so long ago. I mean, after Messiah though, I had uh, well after the um, apostles and all that had been martyred. Um, so well past that period. Um, so, but obviously. Um, it's obviously been, you know, not quite a thousand years, but um, a long time ago. So uh, this video I'm going to play just kind of give you an idea about Cyprian. Uh, but one key thing I want to point out real quick as we get into this, it's only like two, two and a half minute video on this one. Um, 
So, but he was born into a very wealthy pagan family, okay? Um, and so uh, he actually, you know, some of the video may not go too much into that, but, um, you know, when he, when once he uh, became a believer, he actually liquidated his assets. He, he uh, basically, he literally, um, you know, uh, liquidated his assets and gave his money to the poor and he became a Christian uh, to, the, to the day he died, to the day he was martyred. Um, and so this is a more, a slightly more modern day example of the scriptures or what it says. Uh, and stuff. So um, let me um, let me start this, and then I'll pick it back up here in just you know a couple minutes. Cyprian was an overseer in Carthage around A.D. 250. He was greatly influenced by Tertullian, who was an overseer in Carthage two generations before. Speaking about how much Cyprian loved Tertullian, Jerome wrote, "I have seen a certain old man, Paul of Concordia." From a town of Italy. While he was a very young man, he had been secretary to the blessed Cyprian, who was already advanced in age. He said that he had seen how Cyprian was accustomed never to pass a day without reading the works of Tertullian, and that he frequently said to him, Give me the master, meaning Tertullian. Most of Cyprian's writings we have are in the form of letters between him and other leaders in the church. Cyprian was one of the most outspoken opponents of Novation, who left the main church and began a schism. Cyprian was born into a wealthy pagan family. After his conversion at the age of 40, and because of his love for Christ, he liquidated his entire estate and gave all the money to the poor. He was still relatively new in the faith when he was appointed as an overseer in Carthage, which was uncommon. It is clear that he led a Christ-like life that was apparent to others. Cyprian saw the growing persecution under Emperor Valerian and prepared the church in Carthage for it. In AD 258, he was arrested and condemned to die. Many Christians supported him that day. While he stood on the platform, ready to be executed, he willingly removed his own clothes and knelt down before he was beheaded for his faith. About Cyprian, pre-Nicene Christians wrote, Cyprian, therefore, was above all others, distinguished and renowned, since he had sought great glory to himself in the profession of the art of oratory, and he wrote very many things worthy of admiration in their particular class. For he was a kind of mind which was ready, abundant, agreeable, and that which is the greatest excellence of style, plain and open. About Christianity, Cyprian said, But for us, beloved brethren, who are philosophers, not in words, but in deeds, and do not put forward our wisdom in our dress, but in truth. We do not speak great things, we live them. Okay, so uh, that's the end of that uh, short uh, clip there. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Cyprian, uh, but yeah, he's um, you know a very good example uh, of, you know, of saving faith, I would say. Uh, so, and I've got some of his uh, writings, um, and you can always look up stuff online or YouTube. Um, if you want to look it up, it's uh, C-Y-P-R-I-A-N, Cyprian, or Cyprian of Carthage. Uh, so, that, so that's where he ended up ultimately being um, uh, mostly a leader of the, basically it's un, it was an underground church, if you will, uh, at the time. So, and I think, you know, this is one of the things, too, um, 
you know, we have to understand in our modern day, you know, we assume that survival, if you will, you know, that we got to do it ourselves. We've got to, we got to, you know, you know, uh, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstrap mentality here in America. I mean, it's, um, you know, we think we have to do all that. And so we think we have to have a J-O-B, we've got to do this or that. And so part of this saving faith, you know, even for myself, part of this is breaking down those, that thought process, okay? And, but also moving all of that thought process from the mind and moving it to the heart. And that's something that God and the Holy Spirit has to help us with is moving it to the heart so that it becomes a true, actionable, saving faith, not just uh, facts and figures and beliefs, you know, in, in the mind, okay? It's moving it to the heart and then actually following through, okay? And then um, speaking of that, the rich young ruler, okay, so I wanted to, this kind of coincides with that because, you know, this is a scripture that gives, you know, a lot of believers, um, you know, it gives it, it gives you heartburn um, and turns your stomach uh, a lot of times. So, um, and I've and I've been there, you know, but I've had to over the years I've had to come to the realization that um, you know it, you know that Messiah wasn't joking, you know he wasn't joking about you know hey you know sell your possessions come follow me uh, and you'll have treasures in heaven, you know he wasn't joking. And there's also a, a, a part of the verse in there that um, it says that Messiah, you know, it says that he that uh, you know he he loved him, okay. Uh, that he loved, he loved this young man because, like, I, you know, there was a part of him that, you know, there was a part of him that knew, like, hey, he, you know, he was trying. Uh, he thought he was fulfilling the law, but he wasn't. But if we notice on there, on all the laws that, you know, Messiah quoted back to him, he did not say uh, the main two commandments. He didn't say, the, you know, love Lord your God, all your heart, soul, and mind, and he didn't say love your neighbor. Um, you know, he kind of left those out. It was more of all the other stuff. And then that's when the young man said, yeah, I've done all these, all this stuff uh, since I was a, a child. Um, but he purposely left out the biggest uh, stuff. And so, uh, and if you think about it, so to, uh, you know, to give all your possessions away and not rely on anything but God, you know, then you ultimately are proving out your faith that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, and then um, you know all your being, and and by giving to, uh, giving everything you have to the poor, you're proving out the second commandment of you know loving thy neighbor, you know as yourself. Okay, so you're giving, you're literally giving your all. So those that that one action of selling everything, giving to the poor, or you could say two actions, but that two actions fulfills the two parts of the law that Messiah did not mention initially, knowing what he lacked. You know, he knew what he lacked already, obviously. Um, but, you know, but the fact that he says that he loved him, that part gives me some hope here that this young, this young man, there's a possibility, not, not, I don't know for sure. We don't have the full context here, but there's a possibility in my opinion that this young man, uh, later became saved. He may have came, he may have came to the faith later on. It would not surprise me, put it that way. If he later became saved, I think he just may, he may have been a late bloomer. It took a while, uh, just like for all of us. Uh, you know, to to get through a lot of this stuff. And one of the things, too, I wanted to talk about with the rich young ruler here is that the, you know, it's not, you know, especially in those days, okay, 
to have that kind of wealth, you got to understand too that that meant that it was an inheritance. Okay, um, so he likely had this. He had a, a, a large estate and inheritance. Okay, so that means there's family ties to this as well. Uh, so this wasn't like you know, the, you know, there, it wasn't, it wasn't like this guy became independently wealthy at a young age, right? I mean, it's just, you know nowadays that can happen, you know, relatively easy uh, for all these internet gurus or whatever. But the uh, you know, but back then that was very unlikely. I mean, you pretty much had to be kind of born into that kind of wealth. Typically, um, you know, it wasn't something that you know a young person you know rose too quickly very often. So you know, highly unlikely. So, um, so, but with that comes the expectations and ties um, to the family and stuff. So now imagine, you know, you've gotten this big inheritance. There's not kind of a, the, there's expectations within the family, uh, you know, from there. You know, imagine the father and mother, for example, um, you know, if their son came to them and said, I want to sell everything and give to the poor. I mean, just imagine the outrage. And, and so I say that just because, we need to understand the inheritance piece and the, um, you know, the drama, if you will, that uh, and the conflict that this causes within the flesh uh, and within, you know, family. But we also know Messiah says, you may, you know, hate your father, mother, brother, sister, you know, when it comes to, you know, following God first. Okay, um, you know, now we still honor father and mother, um, but it's talking about in terms of putting God first. You know, if needs be, then we'll have to even hate uh, family and friends and stuff in order to follow God's path. You know, so we're still choosing. At the end of the day, we still have to choose God and Messiah first um, in all things. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of, you know, break that down a little bit more. All right. So uh, next, I want to, yeah, let's... um, Let's look at another, uh, even more modern day example. And I had to look up the, I had to look up the name again because um, I, I I couldn't remember the guy's name, but I finally found it. Uh, so I got a short video on this one too. Now this one, it's a little over, it's about three and a half minutes I think total on this one. But this is for uh, a guy that he lived in the 1800s. Okay, so still much closer than. Um, than the last one, even in the Bible, biblical times. Uh, but this, his name is George Mueller, okay. And um, it's gonna, this video is gonna talk, you know, pretty good overview about him. Um, but there's one thing on this video, I think it really didn't necessarily specify, but um, you know, um, yeah, you know, but he once he came to saving faith, okay, uh, I had and I had heard this somewhere else, uh, but uh, that you know, he had a uh, you know, a profound. Uh, change to where he went from even being a thief, um, and then when he uh, when he became saved, uh, fully gave his life to Christ. And um, when he did, uh, he had like no desire for wealth or money anymore. Like his whole desire for for money and all that just disappeared overnight. You know, so he went from being, you know, I think on here it talks about gambling like that. But yeah, he went, he was also a thief. But the uh, you know that once once he changed, he was he was drastically changed. Um, didn't care about money anymore. And then, you know, uh, remember that as we get into this uh, just this clip on him about his uh, you know his uh, adoption centers or what do you call them? The he, you know he ran uh, the uh, you know places for children and stuff, which we'll get into. But 
but yeah, so he, uh, I'm trying to think, I can't think of what they're called now, the um, um, missionary fields and stuff like that, or sort of all the children and stuff. Um, but we'll get into it and uh, see what you think, and we'll talk some more here in a second, okay? Germany in the early part of the 19th century, a period when the church was in decline and religious faith at a low ebb. He was born in a little town called Koppenstedt, which belonged to the Empire of Prussia during this time. George Muller lived the life of a playboy, spending his time drinking, gambling or chasing the ladies. But revival was just around the corner as Muller was to find out for himself when, as a theological student at Halle in Eastern Germany, he started going to meetings in the home of a Christian businessman. When George Muller came to Christ, that was in 1825, Muller returned to London a different man, a man of vision and passion, fired up by Grove's experience of living by faith. I'm fascinated by the idea of being more adventurous in trusting God. The cold, damp and unsanitary conditions of pre-Victorian Britain meant children were highly vulnerable to diseases such as pneumonia and cholera. They nearly always died. When Muller arrived in Bristol, he could not help but be moved by the plight of these orphan children. Charles Dickens' heart-rending story of the young orphan lad Oliver Twist awakened the conscience of an indifferent nation. But the conscience of George Muller had already been awakened. I intend, with God's help and provision, to open a children's home. There will be no going to man for funds or provisions, either by prayer requests or sermons or literature. We will rely on God alone. Two years later, in June 1849, the new orphanage opened its doors to 300 children. Over the next 21 years, four more homes were built on Ashley Down, providing shelter, food, welfare and love for over 2,000 orphans. In his lifetime, George Muller raised the equivalent of $180 million without making any appeals or using the fundraising techniques so many organizations depend on today. And he spent it on the care and welfare of thousands of Bristol's street kids who were regarded as nothing but vermin in those days. He did it to demonstrate to an unbelieving public and doubting Christians that God is real and can be trusted. The legacy of what he began nearly 180 years ago continues to this day. George Muller cared for 10,000 children during his lifetime, and in fact 18,500 children were cared for uh, by the work over the years, and we have the records of every boy and girl uh, here. There are those who well remember their childhood years in a Muller's home. Their lives would have been very much different had it not been for the faith and vision of George Muller. His soul has long since departed, but his message remains. God is real and can be trusted. Okay, so that's the end of that uh, video. So, but yeah, so we see here, and I think it's, um, you know, very important to to recognize um, that 
you know, where, when it comes to um, reliance on God, that, um, you know, he put his full faith and trust in him. And, um, you know, with that, let, I, wanna, I, I do want to approach a topic here within the church um, that I, I see as a major problem. Um, you know, so, uh, and it's been a problem uh, in the churches in particular, but um, uh, as far as brick and mortar, but, you know, now there's so many so-called Christian, you know, channels and uh, websites or whatever, um, and everyone, you know, is, is, is selling Christian gear, uh, you know, shirts and mugs and this and that, and, um, you know, and so, and I know people, you know, think, they're they're doing a good thing you know they're trying to you know they're trying to turn uh, you know but they're trying to turn a profit obviously on on the, whether it's scriptures or you know christian you know uh, type of stuff but you know uh, there there's a, a real danger in that um you know to try to sell the things of god i think it, it's very it'd be very very cautious with this it's very dangerous and um you know there is a scripture saying that um, that they will make merchandise of you, you know, and, and that's exactly what that is. I mean, this is making merchandise of the faith. Um, and uh, I, I don't, I would say it's borderline blasphemous in my opinion. Uh, so, you know, and years ago when I had uh, my, my first college I went to, I went to a small Bible college for a little while. Um, but, you know, I, even I had to realize back then, I was in my 20s, but you know, I, uh, I had to realize then even that like, I didn't, it didn't feel right. I, you know, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to make money on the Bible. I didn't want to rely on people, uh, like as far as tithing go, I didn't want to rely on that. I felt like, you know, I had to pressure people to give, you know, just in order to support the, the, the church building and all this other stuff. I, I didn't like the politics of it. Um, uh, and then, you know, then also, um, uh, as you move forward on stuff like that, you have to put yourself in a box in terms of, um, you know, are you, you know, are you, uh, you know, Southern Baptist? Are you, the, you know, what, you know, what convention are you going to be under in, in order to get grants and all this kind of stuff? And then uh, to, to figure out what church, you know, you're going to fit in. So they want to put you in the box. You know, that's what the world wants to do. The world wants to put you in a box. And, you know, and, and, you know, and I was like, I was still young. I was still learning. I just wanted to learn the Bible. I didn't want to be put in a box either. You know, uh, but but I realized I did not want money um, to uh, be a corruption, to be a corruptible factor in my spiritual walk. Uh, that just didn't feel right to me. You know, so uh, I so I've never so I ended up leaving that that college and and uh, and stuff and just you know, getting a business degree elsewhere. But the uh, but my, my point is is that you know it's just like um, you know be very careful trying to mix. Um, and make money on the Bible, you know, try to make money on the faith, try to make money on witnessing to others in any capacity. Another one would be these videos of people, you know, they record themselves witnessing out in public or whatever, um, you know, and stuff. So, but, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a prideful thing my opinion and you know um you know I, I just don't feel like there's any reward here and and nine times out of ten these people are just arguing with people and people are getting mad or yelling at them and this and that and they you know and there's kind of a context of it you know they want to i guess they want to preface it like you know that they're being persecuted uh for the faith but you know that's not the kind of persecution that other believers before them you know they went through maybe a little bit of that but it was not it was much more extreme 
than just being yelled at, you know, by some, you know, um, you know, person that you know hates your message. But, um, but at the same time, you know, you're there, you know, recording stuff and trying to look the part, and you got this, you know, PA system or whatever, you know, and all this stuff. Um, so I don't know. I just it doesn't the whole thing doesn't kind of jive right with me. And then on top of that, then there's also the ones that record themselves doing, um, you know, good. Uh, acts, you know, kind acts to people, giving people money or, you know, think, oh, God says, oh, God, you know, provides a, here's a hundred dollars or whatever. And then they're crying and, you know, it's an emotional video, no doubt. But, you know, just like Messiah said with the Pharisees and stuff that, you know, when they do it in public like that, you know, they've already received the reward. You know, there's no other reward in heaven for them. Uh, for those kind of things because you're, I mean, in this case, you're literally recording it and getting, you know, to in order to get, you know, thousands or millions of views or whatever. Um, and so you're using that for popularity and fame and, and even wealth, you know, they make, they can make money online, I guess, or whatever. But so you're, but you're still using the faith, okay, using, um, you know, some act, some kind act and saying, and putting God's name in it. And then you're using that to make money, to make fame and fortune. So, um, to me, all of that is kind of a, um, it's, you know, it's really a negative, you know, context for the faith and it's not something that, um, that we should really be doing. Okay. Well, I think this video, uh, or this podcast is kind of a little longer than I was thinking and I have barely got, I mean, that's, we got why well, maybe about <laughs> half a page. So, uh, I'll stop it here. So this one's not too long and then we will, um, I'll keep it. We'll keep this going um, for probably for a while until the Holy Spirit is done with this topic. Okay, uh, be blessed, Messiah. Talk to you soon.